it's literally the most positive sum industry in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know how long that will last, but I genuinely do tons of stuff for other people with no expectation of returns. And almost all the time there's returns. Hey, I'm Rudy, and this is the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Here, we learn about the lives of our favorite crypto experts, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Jake Lynch, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's it's good to be here, Rudy. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And uh, I know and we met in a Boston DAO meetup, but you've also worked on Spearmint DAO, and you're working at L1 Digital. And you know, it's a lot of hands in a lot of different places, and that's kind of like a typical crypto thing to do. But before we get in all to the crypto side of Jake, I'll have to a little bit learn a little bit about Jake on what he was doing before even hearing about crypto or hearing about Bitcoin. I think I was born uh, <laughs> around then. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some um, people are nowadays, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I got into crypto a year after college. Uh, so I, I was studying economics at Emory. Um, and around that time, I, I started hearing about ethereum that was in 2016 um and i had known about bitcoin before i had done some stuff with bitcoin previously it probably isn't you know proper for a podcast um and by the time i heard about ethereum i was in this like period of economics studying um where i was you know super enthused with the idea it it just made so much sense with the tech tech background and with the econ background so you heard about it but it didn't immediately trigger anything for you well so at the time there just there just was not a way to get a job in the industry um you had to be a developer and just start building stuff yeah uh this was like during and pre the ico period um so i would have loved to got to have gone into this i remember interviewing for tons of jobs and like the jobs i wanted were all you know your stupid like investment banking, you know, et cetera jobs. Um, and I ended up taking an accounting job and the accounting job was for uh, a real estate developer, a uh, pretty large one, they're fortune 500. Okay. Um, and I worked for them for probably about a month and th- keep in mind, this would be like June, 2017 or so. Um, so right in the, the height of, you know, ICO era, yeah. like, these cool ass projects were coming out. Um, and within a month I was like slamming my head against the desk. Like, I don't want to do this. Uh, so it was, I, I just went on Reddit. Um, and I don't know if you know, Scott Lewis. I think I've heard of the name. So yeah. So Scott, Scott founded DeFi pulse. He founded code arena. Um, He's, he founded Canto. He's, he's done a, a ton of stuff in the space. Um, but he, he posted on Reddit in 2017, like, Hey, we're looking for researchers for ICOs. And I was like, I'll do it. Sign me it up. Takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I got on an interview with him and realized it was, you know, a part-time job, something I could do at work. Um, and I really wanted to get in the industry and that was the only thing that was really paying for somebody with my type of background. And so I just, I, w- I was, I dived right in with there, with that. And that was Concourse Q. So Concourse Q was like a open source due diligence platform for ICOs. And they needed people to actually start to do the diligence. So they were, they're compensating some people to 
to do high quality diligence on ICOs. Um, and that's how I got started. It, that was uh, the first formal job there, but it was part-time. Um, and then eventually after about a year or so, I switched full-time. Nice. Yeah. My first time, my first job with crypto was a community manager. So that was a lot of fun. That was during the ICO craze too. Uh, wild experience, but yeah, it, I mean, some of my discord messages when I look back are just super cringe, <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like a, a permable for Dfinity. Like <laughs> I, I had some really bad takes. It's, it's how you learn. Like it's so easy just to ride the wave and just keep flying on that high, but it's the, it's a crash that really humbles you and makes you realize what the ecosystem is really about and what we're really trying to build as a community versus yeah, these crazy projects that come up that promise the world, but yeah, if they ever deliver, we'll see. The, the crash would have been humbling if I had any money, but at the <laughs> time, I, I mean, it was like, honestly, my drinks cost more than the money I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had any money, it might've been not a fun ride at all. So <laughs> without a doubt <laughs> so um yeah now you're uh yeah after that experience in your part-time job you went to full-time um where you know, like i guess in your personal life in your family life your friends how was that transition to saying i love crypto i'm gonna be in this industry forever were you the crypto not in your in your group were you trying to convince your family and your friends like this is the right path to go to or are they all trying to just tell you now get get a normal job and get a good salary and this and that yeah i mean you hit you hit the nail on the head um so when i left my my paying job for crypto that was in uh march 2018 and there still weren't jobs yeah right like it was you know i mean there were some venture roles popping up but i wasn't qualified for those and there really weren't jobs so I was trying to like figure out how I could work in this industry. And I looked around the desk and like all of the other people in the accounting group that were in my, my age, they were all on BitMEX like me. Mm. Um, and I was like, you know, I could probably trade better than them. <laughs> um, and so the way that I figured out I would get into the in industry was I saved up a little, a little bit of money. I had some friends from school who were interested in crypto and we're in the same area. Um, and I quit just to go start trading. Um, and we were going to like, to start what we did was, uh, like AI market making. Um, this was back when they had like rebates on, on Bitmax. So you could just, you know, fill trades and you would get paid, fill trades, you would get paid. Okay. Um, and that was that, that, that was good. But the issue with market making is it's not super profitable. It's profitable, but it's never super profitable. Yeah. So with like the $10,000 we could put together, they're like, <laughs> they're like, wasn't that much returns. Um, so we had to go at it uh, from a different route. Right. And like we took, I, I'll, I'll get there in a, a minute, but anyways, to answer your, to answer your original question, um, I got a call every week from my mom and my dad and every week up until the last year and a half or so they've been calling me wow. and asking like, Hey, have you thought about applying to jobs outside of crypto? Um, wow. 
And then like sometime around when Paul Tudor Jones invested and they started seeing like Bitcoin on the news and whatnot, all that, that completely shifted. And like, finally they were like, okay, you do you. Yeah. Now they see it's a real industry that's taking over like, uh, companies and, uh, even governments are talking about it. So it's definitely, uh, an item that's going to stay in conversation for a very long time. And what we hope for as crypto enthusiasts take over the economic form of the world, but there's still some time for that. That's the goal. <laughs> so then, yeah, then after that, um, what were you looking into, uh, working on next? Yeah. So at some point, um, so in between then, we, we started going like pretty risk on, uh, and getting into yield farming mm -hmm. and concourse Q, the, the organization I was with originally, uh, turned into DeFi pulse and DeFi pulse were the people who invented TV. Like Scott is the person who invented TVL, um, like that concept. And, and so it was really obvious to us that like DeFi was about to just do what it was going to do because before anybody even noticed it, it, it did the hockey stick where the, the TVL was just increasing and the, the prices of the assets was not okay. right. And so like for us I, on the trading side, we were like, screw this market making like risk on. Um, and, and so that worked out pretty well, but you know, at a certain point trading is like a, it's a really like day-to-day -day job right? Like 24 oh, yeah. hours a day. Like you can't really sleep on this unless you have a really good infrastructure. And honestly, I didn't have the background to set up a really great infrastructure. Um, but I had one theory that I really wanted to follow. And that theory was, you know, coming from Concourse Q, I saw all of these different ICOs and projects launching, and they were all competing with each other. And for whatever reason, my belief was, hey, mergers and acquisitions are going to be the next big phase of crypto. And whatever I can do to figure out how this works from a decentralized like viewpoint, um, that will lead to some alpha and I can capitalize on that. Um, so my next step from trading was I noticed that um, Keep, who does uh, TBTC or like uh, it's essentially decentralized tokenized Bitcoin, Okay. Um, so a competitor WBTC, but it, it isn't permissioned. Um, and new cipher who does proxy re-encryption. Mm -hmm. Um, both of, both of these teams knew that they kind of aligned philosophically and also were kind of creating the same technology. And I had been following them for a little bit and then they announced like, Hey, we're considering a merger and my alarm bells went off. Um, and I was like, whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of it. I want to figure out how this works. So I, I dove like headfirst into what eventually became Threshold DAO. And Threshold is like now this, this merged product of those. Um, and that was when I first got really deep into how DAOs work. And to be honest, when you go into a DAO, you realize like, oh crap, we have to we have to do everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a company still just decentralized, but still like people still have to do all the work. So yeah, so that led to like, I spent about a year 
um, helping out in that community and trying to plan for this merger and make it successful. Um, and then later that year, I, and I, at that time I, I had left the trading job behind. I didn't have a job. Um, I didn't know what I was really going to do. Um, I was entertaining a lot of options and I go to a conference and at the conference, I get approached by two different groups. Uh, one of them is L1 digital and L1 digital is this, uh, Swiss venture fund, uh, and fund of funds. So like fund of funds, they invest in funds and then venture fund, they invest in projects. Um, and I was like, wow, I know a lot about projects. I know a lot about funds. This makes a ton of sense. Um, and it's in Switzerland, which is pretty cool. Um, so I was like, okay, sign me right up for that. Um, but at the same conference, I got approached by these guys who were doing Spearbit. Uh, and this was in the early stage of it. Um, Jake Ling and, and Spencer McDonald, uh, and to give you some context, like they were, they're plugged in. So like Jake Ling, when he approached me, he was 19 years old. He had worked three years at the Ethereum foundation and one year in a DOD contractor. Um, and Spencer was also from, uh, like a military DevOps background. Um, and they had another guy, Alex Baragasi, who's the second most commits on Solidity's GitHub, uh, and has, yeah, he's a co-lead of Solidity. And then lastly, they had another guy, Hari Malakul, who's, um, I don't know if anybody listening will know Hari, but Hari is the wizard of Solidity. He can, like, we joke that the scaling solution for Ethereum is just Hari. Um, (laughs) and they were trying, yeah. And they were trying to do Spearbit and I was like, man, I think there's a huge opportunity in security auditors and make and making security auditing better for projects. But I just took another job. And frankly, I'm more of an investor than I am a builder. Um, so I joined the team part time as kind of like a um, like a I like to say like an emotional support dog. Yeah. Um, but so essentially I help with, with the big strategy and, and whatnot on, on Spearbit. Um, and then with L1D, I do, I look at direct investments and then I looked at, I, I diligence funds as well. So how do you like keep track of oil research and different opportunities are coming your way? Cause it's a lot of stuff to absorb and it takes, I think a certain skill set to know what you're looking for and know what to read and know what to just ignore. And I kind of like what kind of goes on through your head when you're reading crypto Twitter and reading Reddit and what's like, what are the things that are signaling to you that, that are, are worth reading or researching? And that's a super good question. And like the way we break that down in trading is like, what is the signal? What is the noise? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to signal, I think the, <laughs> The best way to, to like scroll through a lot of content and try to figure out some good stuff is honestly just to curate your feed, like just to follow high quality people. Um, and I think a lot of people joke that like 90% of the stuff they do is shit posting. Um, but sometimes I find shit posting really insightful. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, so, and then also the, the other thing there is like, um, I'm looking for things. I'm not looking for things I agree with. I'm purely looking for things I disagree with. 
and if there's if they do something where they can actually go into it and like explain why they disagree with it then you have me attached and you've nerd sniped me um the other thing i look for is like i really 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 value governance and i think governance is super you know, underappreciated in, in crypto. It's something that we just completely don't have in TradFi. Um, and so I always look for anything that has governance in it, I pay attention to. So those are my two things that I'm looking for a signal. I'm looking for anything that could change my mind or disagree with me, and then anything relating to governance. Gotcha. And then what about SpearBits DAO and its governance structure really attracted you? And what, I guess what I guess give us a little more also on what Spearbit does because I think our fans yeah know. yeah to to be to be fully transparent I think we're working on the governance structure but right now calling it a DAO is a little generous in that like we do have a distributed organization but we don't have a de decentralized autonomous one mm -hmm. um, so like when I joined up with Spearbit it was it could have been many things and I tried to push it to a DAO. And that's kind of really the end game there. But the idea behind Spearbit was um, security auditing is incredibly expensive. And there's huge queues in order to get a security audit that really like make projects miss deadlines, miss, miss what they need to do. Um, so you're taking a lot of time and you're taking a lot of money for projects. So in general, this security auditing industry uh was it was zero sum or negative sum um the goal of security auditing is to be positive sum right yeah. like to get new eyes on your code because frankly you shouldn't be the only one looking at it if you're going to custody other people's funds so the idea with spearbit was how can we go ahead and create a better auditing system um and Initially, when we set out, I mean, like the, we've done a ton of customer discovery to, to get to where we are today, but today, what we realized initially when we set out was, um, most, most auditing companies take about 70, like 60 to 80% of the cut of whatever gets paid wow. to them. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a ton. It's a ton. And they charge a crazy amount, right? Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so, so we were like, Hey, just flip the model, <laughs> right? Like the front office is scalable and the auditors aren't. So you can make the front office take a 20% cut and then give the auditors 80%. And by doing this one, you'll attract all of the better auditors because they'll get paid more working for you. And then two, you don't need to tie these people down in like, you know, boiler rooms, which a lot of the auditing firms are kind of like boiler rooms. Like, you know, they're like investment banks, right? Like you go in and you work a yeah. hundred hour weeks. Why don't we just let them be contractors and they can say when they want to work. Right. And so it essentially is, I mean, I hate to say this, especially as a VC, but it's like a Uber for auditing. Um, and the big question there becomes how can you ensure the quality, right? And how can you ensure the quality? Initially, we were super concerned with this idea of uh, like the black hat auditor. And then we found that like a, 
actually the black hat auditor hedges it's you know like the idea that somebody would come into the or into the dow as a black hat mm-hmm. and leave it leave some vulnerability unfound uh, okay so that was like we were super concerned with that when it came to quality and then we realized like oh we put this guy with like five other people and there's no way they're going to be able to hide the vulnerability because of the game theory right um so so that solved itself and then it just comes to the quality and the quality is why it's primarily like centralized right now is because we're vetting all of the auditors ourselves just to make sure that we can i mean you you want to you want to build up the quality of the community and then let it decentralize yeah that's like as you said like i feel like game three has a lot to play in this industry because again everybody wants to do what's best for themselves but in turn it also helps everyone else around them so as long as everyone's doing what's best for themselves and best for everyone around Everyone, everyone's going to win substantially. It's it's literally the most positive sum industry in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know how long that will last, but I genuinely do tons of stuff for other people with no expectation of returns. And almost all the time there's returns, right? Yeah. Like whether they're financial, social, whatever, like it always comes back to you in a, in a good way. Exactly. So as long as we can keep that, I'm confident this industry will take over just eat everything <laughs> i hope so. i mean that's what i'm hoping for too because it's um it's a dream it's just like especially like with DAOs and self and governance it's owning your own data owning your own privacy and being able to vote yourself and know that that was your vote that was cast and it was counted correctly you can check it online if you need to um you know what's interesting about that though what? is um well, it is a positive sum industry where like, you know, you do this prisoner's dilemma and both of you like do the right thing. Um, simultaneously, we we make adversarial assumptions. We assume they're going to do the wrong thing, right? And that's what we build it so that it, if they do the wrong thing, it still works out, yeah. which is very interesting because it it seems to be this like, hey, this is what we built it for. And yet you see this other thing happening and that's been happening with things like pump and dump scams or ico projects that just promised the world and rug pulled you and it's like but it's all it's also inevitable i feel like if it's just a human nature with so many people in the world there's going to be bad apples and it's not really possible to cut them all out but it is possible to make them expose as fast as possible or dissuade them from doing anything negative or even like re-educate them in terms of no there is a better way for you to win too and everyone else everyone can win with the the slice of pie you're starting to sound like olympus (laughs) (laughs) three three right no no i'm not gonna shout that out but (laughs) i hope well yeah i mean that's the evangelical thought or whatever i don't know but it's uh it's positive thoughts too so We'll hope for that, but yeah, and more in terms of DAOs, like and governance, you, like and being involved in it. Do you see that? Because how quickly can you see it being caught on in more of the mainstream world, where it won't be like LLCs and corporations forming and different types of business entities, more like 
no, we're just a DAO and we're going to run our infrastructure this way. It's hard to do that without a government because it's always going to be a need for a corporation. But uh, how do you see its future in, in adopting DAOs? Um, or your mindset or thought, whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll reveal an open secret to anybody who doesn't really know. Um, most DAOs are LLCs, right? And they choose this structure for various reasons, but I'm starting to, so the way I see like, like DAOs by back in the day, we used to think of DAOs as like decentralized autonomous organizations. Like you have some sort of AI on chain that can govern and tell people like, Hey, I, I will give this much of an equity reward for this type of bounty. And if you guys provide that service to me, I reward it and I'm an AI. <laughs> um, and the reality was the A never really manifested. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll give a shout out to Liquidity who has created a, a, a DAO of sorts that has somewhat uh, autonomous aspect. But, you know, you look at MakerDAO, you look at a ton of the, you know, you look at Lido, you look at any of the very successful DAOs. And you'll realize that zero percent of these DAOs are autonomous. Mm -hmm. So recently, I've kind of like started to change my terminology uh, to to like DOs, which I consider to be like distributed organizations. Um, I think uh, I think the distributed organization going forward is probably the best model for most companies. Um, and I mean, you see this, uh, on one side of the spectrum of distributed organization, you have no Coinbase who doesn't put a address on their filings because they're remote workers. Right. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have MakerDAO who half of the workers don't have real identities to them. They could be the same person, right? Like sure. that's like, right. So you have some, some spectrum here. Um, and there are very few organizations that I think don't fit on that spectrum that are in the information industry, right? Outside of the information industry, you know, Spearbit is a, a rare exception along with, you know, vector DAO and, and some of these other, what people like to call service DAOs, mm -hmm. um, Spearbit, like that's an exception because most services are physical and they need to be done in the physical realm. Um, and you know, like you can't have a mechanic now because yeah, you gotta work with the car. Your, your car needs, yeah. Um, but when it comes to like information stuff and SaaS stuff and whatever you see, have seen in Silicon Valley over the past 10, 15 years, I see zero reason why that can't all go over to distributor organizations. Mm -hmm. And then I will see DAOs as kind of this leading category of this, where they're really pushing what it means to have on-chain governance, right? And so DAOs are like the people who are trying to make the governance happen on-chain. Um, and not everybody will be like that in, in this DO category. That's how I see it. Yeah, and that makes sense because it is, that open secret is pretty funny because yeah, every DAO is LLC behind it. Um, but that makes sense. And I guess we won't know until the future once the governments decide to change governance structure itself 
that's an old, that's an all change. Well, well, so that's, I mean, maybe I can go on a tangent here. Um, yeah, but, but that's where you really get into the idea of what, what the hell exactly are tokens useful for? Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I believe tokens are incredibly useful for is, um, historically you have this equity model that pretty much everybody calls the stockholders. Yep. Right. And now you have this concept of for several reasons, it doesn't make sense for stockholders to make decisions. Stakeholders should make decisions, right? Reverse it and start giving the equity to people who are what we call stakeholders, you know, users, uh, contributors, right? Uh, all of the like designers, I, I you know, uh, uh, main, maintainers. It's like member owned companies or employee owned companies, sorry. Yeah, like co ops, but imagine if co ops also, when you went to go buy something at a co op, you also got some say in this, right? So tokens are really good at distributing equity in a way that we've never been able to do that before. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's what I think really the innovation of crypto at this point is, right? All of the rest, I think, is ideology. This is really the technological aspect of it. Yeah. And I, and that's the thing too, it just brings it to a global scale. Like it's hard to open up a company in the US and also have your members or stakeholders who are in different countries. It's just it's it's impossible. Yeah. Like but the thing is there's so many talented, amazing people all over the world that like, they deserve to be if they're the best fit for your company, it's a good fit, then you should be able to onboard them, but that's another hassle. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um so learning all about, you know, your crypto life and learning about, uh, just living in this industry, what's a crypto pet peeve that you have? Um, <laughs> whew, a crypto pet peeve that I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So going on the, the last thing, uh, what I was just talking about with tokens are really good at, um, shifting the the meta from a stockholder model to a stakeholder model a, a crypto pet peeve i have is the belief that um tokens are really good at decentralizing mm -hmm. tokens are not naturally good at decentralizing right and of course this has been argued several times with like proof of stake is not good at that um tokens by themselves are just representations of some resource there is nothing about that that incentivizes decentralization decentralization in all of my like and, and i'm i'm a i'm a decentralized maxi but what i'm saying is it costs money rather than it's it's a it's a liability not an asset right um like privacy decentralization is a feature but it's not its own product okay. right and so i think my my biggest pet peeve is that um, everybody really conflates the idea of using a token with becoming decentralized. Hmm. And that's interesting because, um, I guess I view decentralization more of a security purpose 
in terms of yeah, scattered ownership of the DAO environment, whatever it is, the less uh, concentration there are, or there is, the more decentralized. And it's like safer to be part of it and not have to worry about one person controlling whatever. Without a doubt, I completely agree with that. But the mechanisms need to be designed such that they facilitate that. Yeah, and incentivize for it too. So, so for instance, for, um, you know, a lot of people give Solana a lot of crap, but like Solana has a uh, an issuance mechanism where the the more staker, so it has this target target staker uh, threshold, and the more stakers there are above that threshold, you start to reduce the share per staker. And when you go below it, you start to increase the share per staker. Um, so you have a mechanism that tries to target this participation rate, right? And without mechanisms like that, you know, I mean, when you look at, and, and I'm going to get stoned for saying this, but like when you look at Ethereum proof of stake, like this thing is purely designed to centralize around uh, like large nodes. There's, there's nothing in it that incentivizes, you know, high participation from multiple parties. Right. So it's the, the idea that people conflate a token with, Hey, I released a token so that I can decentralize. It's like, yeah. frankly, there are stocks on the S and P 500 that will be more decentralized than you. Right. Gotcha. Because there are, you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, -huh. uh they have a hundred thousand holders and you have 10,000. Right. So. Yeah. And then decentralized and distributed are also different concepts, um, which is kind of a, they get conflated often. Yeah, that makes sense because, yeah, as you said, it's, it really is the mechanisms or the rules in place that help create decentralization, not having a token in itself. Um, now that, yeah, now that we know crypto is like a 24-7 industry, you deal a lot with it every day. But what does Jake do for like hobbies, fun, something outside of crypto? If there is a life outside of crypto for you. Man, to be honest, I work like almost all of my time. I mean, even, um, even for fun, we meet up at the Boston Down meetups, but. So, so I love, I love, um, you know, my mom lives on a lake. I love to go out. And, and fish when I can get a breather. Um, I like to, man, this is an embarrassing question because <laughs> I, I don't have really strong answers for this. It's fine. Um, it makes you think a little bit like, oh, maybe I should go for like a walk later. Or yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I think, I think Paul said he's, he chose working out and it's like, I don't love working out, but I obviously uh, you got to do it. I'm on the same page as you. I do not like working out at all, but I know I have to do it and I never regret doing it. It's just like a, all right, it's like a good chore. Wait, all right. So what I'll say is um, if I have like three hours or four hours where I'm like, yeah, I'm done with work as far as I can know. What I love to do is I love to just like um, throw on like a Miyazaki movie, like, uh, like a uh, castle in the sky or like spirited away or something. Oh, wow old school like anime stuff yeah yeah Dude. that's that always hits i i forgot if i watched those or not 
but I those are some of the best movies around you know and if you do the english version i always find the english versions way better than the japanese because for whatever reason they bring in some of the best voice actors so i think it's i think it's how's moving castle that has like christian bale as how oh wow yeah yeah and it's always surprising that when they do um like a lot of animated films are dubbed the english voice acting is really really good they always yeah, like, it, hit it right in the, the, the miyazaki stuff is i mean is like the best at that it's exceptional um and then other than that i would say like you know most of my time i spend uh going to like these boston down meetups and stuff um most of my free time i have doing that but on weekends uh if I can, I would love to spend like six to eight hours cooking. That's, that's also one of my favorite. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love cooking. So start cooking, casually eat lunch while you're cooking and then like have a really cool, super dang dinner. Nice. <laughs> oh man. Um, were you always in Boston, Boston area? Or Massachusetts? So, so I grew up in, in the Boston area. Um, and then I, I went down to Atlanta for school, mm -hmm. went to Miami for that, that one job, um, came back to Atlanta and then finally came back to Boston this past year. Um, and then intermittently in between those, you know, at periods of those times, I spent a few months in Hong Kong, China, and in Switzerland. That's awesome. I have yet to it, go to it's China pretty fun life or Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing, yeah. like, you took risks, of course, too. Like, you left comfortable jobs just to take a risk and see what would happen uh, with your life. I left one comfortable job. <laughs> I would say none of the rest were comfortable. <laughs> that's true, but they weren't steady, at least. Sorry. Steady was probably the better word. And and super entertaining jobs, uh, with that, with the accepting, exception of the uh, the accounting. That, that just wasn't entertaining at all. If you didn't have crypto in your life, what would you imagine yourself doing now cooking without a doubt yeah yeah there's i've i've zero question about that you got to meet colfax then i don't know if you met colfax from git poap i know colfax yeah, yeah. He, he was yeah. a chef in his former life that went to crypto oh i didn't realize that was his previous yeah. his previous job yeah man colfax is an interesting guy yeah, I, i'll have to chef it up with him he's, awesome. he's another member of the boston now yep and well if you're chefing it up let, and please invite me because i definitely want to try the food that you guys cook up i think uh i think at a certain point what i want to get up and running is like any interesting crypto people that are in or visiting boston i'll have like some weekly dinners at home and we can do like some like six person eight person dinners Hell so yeah. if anybody's listening and is in boston let me know <laughs> If you need some Mediterranean, Middle Eastern help, uh, then I can help out there. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Who wouldn't need that? <laughs> um, so in Boston, Dow, are you heavily involved in any of the uh, governance or planning for the Dow itself or kind of? Yeah. Um, so to answer that question, honestly, um, I myself and about five other people started the DAO. Um, and so we've been kind of shaping it and building it ever since. Um, I, I wrote, uh, probably a third of the manifesto. 
um, which we use as kind of like our guiding, our North Star, our, our principles there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, honestly, it's it's out of all of the things I participate in governance in, it's it's by far the the one I enjoy participating the most because it's so tangible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. And I guess the steps to making a DAO. So someone say if someone else wants to make a DAO, what's the first? I guess few steps or tips you can give on how to actually technically and physically accomplish creating a DAO. It's a long, this is going to be a long one. So take your time. Um, yeah, there's first and foremost, uh, like there needs to be a legit, a legitimate reason, right? Like there are plenty of, there are plenty of reasons and not many of them are legitimate. Hmm. Um, if you think that you have a legitimate reason, the first step is to kind of shop it around and get people who are not in your immediate circle to be interested in pushing it with you. Um, I say this a lot and I'll say it again. A DAO, like uh, running a DAO is a lot like pushing a, a super heavy rock with a bunch of people that you barely know. And like some people will stop and take a cigarette break. Some people won't help at all. Some people are just really pushing all the time, but the rock's not going anywhere. And the reality with the DAO is like, it's all about gradual, well-planned movement, right? Um, And good delegation. So the well-planned movement is a really important part there. You need a mission. You need an objective. You need something that you are trying to change or do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you have that, and that's your North Star, then it will be very easy because you have everybody aligned on some central path and then you'll make small disagreements here. Right. I find a lot of DAOs don't have this, um, especially a lot of like the NFT DAOs coming out that are, you know, like PFPs where most of their common alignment is on some aesthetic area. Um, the, the second thing you need to do is you need to go ahead and you need to say, frankly, I need five to 10 people who are dedicated to volunteer to figure out how to lay out the foundation for the governance here. Um, You're not going to get more than 10 people. And if you have less than five people, you probably don't have a good DAO idea. Um, And these people need to be pretty well versed in, in how DAOs have failed. Yeah. (laughs) Like they, they need to have been in a DAO and seen how something fails so that they can apply some type of, you know, rigor to the structure that you're building. And then lastly, I would say like, um, the, the real key to a DAO is like, you really, if you ever find that you're overworking yourself for a DAO, you're completely doing it wrong. Um, the entire purpose, like the entire value proposition of a DAO is that you can tap into a lot of people's part-time resources. If you are overclocking your full-time to do a DAO, just go start a a company and get paid. (laughs) Like really just go start a company. It's not the right fit for a DAO. So, I mean, I think those are my general recommendations. If anybody's interested, I'm I'm happy to go deeper in. My DMs on Twitter are open. But yeah, it's not an easy answer, of course. Yeah, it's definitely specific to the idea that you have too. 
Um, but yeah, one of my final questions for you is what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something that happened to you in the crypto world industry that made you feel good and proud to be part of it? Um, I think one of my, one of my favorite, uh, wholesome crypto moments was the fact that, you know, when I, when I left my job and I was just doing DAO stuff for a little bit, um, and I just go to a single conference. And so first of all, I'll give a huge shout out to Ryan Selkis for this. I DM'd Ryan Selkis out of the blue. Like he'd never known me before, etc. Um, and I told him, I'm like, Hey, I don't have a ticket to main that, um, I would really love to go. And he goes in like 10 minutes, he responded on Twitter. He was like, no problem. Here's a ticket. Wow. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And going to that conference really changed the trajectory of my life. That's where I met L1D. That's where I met the Spearbit guys. Um, and that was a super wholesome moment, uh, you know, and to this day, I, I don't understand why he did it. You know, like these are expensive tickets. It was like three days before the, the event and out of nowhere, he just volunteered this. Um, so I'll give, I'll give Ryan Selkins my shout out for the most wholesome crypto moment. I gotta have him on the show then. I want to hear his story. <laughs> I can, uh, I can, I can try to make that happen. We'll see. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jake, for joining me today again. I really appreciate you taking the time, and yeah, I can't wait to see you continue building out your industry, your your DAOs, and I'm excited to meet you in the next meetup, too. So, Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Thanks, Rudy. Thank you. See you, everyone.